You're listening to the Young Adult Podcast. What is up, everybody? Hey, welcome to the second annual live Young Adult Podcast at Fall Retreat. Let's go. I am so excited for today because we have a buddy of mine, a, a, a voice to what I believe is the millennial and Gen Z generation, our good friend here at Retreat, the one and only Mr. Keenan Clark. What's up, what's up? Pumped to be here, excited. Looks like some people are snoozing, but hey, you guys are the ones who are here. Early bird gets the worm. Early bird go. gets the worm. Let's go. There you go. Well, hey, we guys, we are so excited. We're going to take the next 45 minutes or so and answer questions that you have submitted um, over the course of this weekend. Now, if you are a young adult podcast faithful, I owe you an apology. We... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we, we have been MIA for a couple of weeks. Um, we have had some stuff going on behind the scenes, all good things. Um, our co-host is bringing a child into the world, and so well, we've kind of that. made some accommodations for that and getting ready for retreat. And so if you guys didn't know, Milana's having a baby. Is it all right? You said that in your message. I can say that. Okay, good. I was like worried I just crossed like a major personal boundary. <laughs> um, but no, guys, we are so excited and we don't want to waste a ton of time. However, um, I want to pray, invite Jesus into this moment before we start answering your questions. Obviously, um, you guys want to know what we believe Jesus thinks about this. I can give you some advice. Keenan can give you some advice. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. But hopefully we all are here to hear from the Spirit of God and um, just kind of have conversations around things that you have questions about. However, tomorrow is Afia's birthday. <laughs> Afia has flown from Maryland to be a part of our podcast and a part of our retreat. And I think it would only be fitting to have Afia open us up in prayer before we, before we do the podcast. So would you come, come down here and open us up and prayer. You might not have forgiven us for not posting enough, but we show grace. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, we love you. We're grateful for you. Would you pray for us before we dive in? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the questions that your children have submitted. Thank you for the wisdom and the guidance that's going to be released from our speakers as we um, record the YA podcast. Thank you that nations are going to hear this podcast and be transformed by the truth that you love us, you know us, and you want the best for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give it up for Afia. Let's go. All right, so you guys asked a lot of questions, and we did our best to sort of maybe synthesize some of them into, like, themes. However, even in doing that, we got, like, 30-some questions that were, like, submitted. I think, like, 
26 or 36, some, I, I remember a six. So it's either 26 or 36, but, and there are a lot, like we could, we could spend singular podcasts on like a lot of these individual questions. And we probably will uh, do that on ones that we can't cover fully. However, we're going to do our best to cover a lot in these next couple of moments. Um, and I thought this is a good one. How many people are in a relationship right now? Okay, how many people want to be in a relationship at some point in your life? Okay, perfect. So this is a... If your hand was at half mass, <laughs> you don't want it. I saw some of these. I'm like, you ain't desperate enough. You ain't desperate enough yet. But Keenan, I got a question for you. Somebody sent in, if you and the person you're dating are in two different seasons of life, and one of you needs to step away and take a break to focus on other things. Can you support them? And how can you cope and handle the break from the person that you want to be with until they are ready? Dang. We're starting off easy here. This is yeah. easy? <laughs> yeah, no. My Lord. <laughs> um, okay, so like, this goes without saying. Um, obviously, like, I don't know the nuances, idiosyncrasies, like the specifics of this relationship. Um, I think that would help me to speak to it if I knew these two people a little bit better. Um, also, if I understood like a little bit of their backstory, like where do they find themselves? Um, what does their relationship with God look like practically individually, but also as a couple? Um, so I, I'm saying all that to say I will answer as specifically, but generally as possible. Um, I think number one, if you truly love somebody, you have to care more about their relationship with Jesus than you do your relationship with them. And I don't know that you can really say you love somebody until you are actually genuinely in that place. And so if doing something to further their relationship with God and deepen their relationship with God means that you have to sacrifice, I think that honestly, your willingness to do that or not to do that speaks of the health of your relationship. And if you are reluctant to give them that space that they are asking you for because they care about pursuing a relationship with God, I honestly think that is an indicator you probably need that space yourself. Like you probably need to take their own advice and say, hey, I, I honestly think I probably, I probably need the same thing um, if you are having a hard time allowing them to do that. Because that relationship right there has to be first. It has to be primary. Um, because at the end of the day, if, if Jesus literally is not the centerpiece of your relationship, one day your home, it's doomed. And I know that that sounds like really morbid and it sounds like really uh, dramatic, but it's the truth. Because um, you are the most excited about somebody when you are dating them, by and large. I don't believe that has to be the case. I believe that God should be able to take us from glory to glory, strength to strength, grace to grace. But by and large, most people just off of their affinity for one another, the deepest place of affection they find is in those early days, right? Um, and so I think that if you're not very good at making Jesus the centerpiece while you're dating, it's going to be incredibly difficult to make him the centerpiece of your home when the two of you are married. And so I would say use this season to, to get good at that. And if you need a season where somebody's like, hey, I'm not healthy enough to fully love you because I don't even fully love him. You need to take that as a word of wisdom and say, okay, I want, if this is going to go the distance, we have our entire life to be affectionate, to be official, to be all the things. 
We have all these years ahead of us. Take six months, three months, whatever it is, take that time and do your part to pursue the Lord so that we can come back together and this can be everything that God predestined it to be. And uh, that's, where, that's kind of like maybe how I would answer that. Yeah, that I love sense. that. You used some wording specifically that actually goes really well into another question. Somebody asked, um, you kept on talking about having God at the center of your relationship. Somebody said, how do you build a relationship where God is at the center of that? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, there's so many things. I think there's, there's a lot of obvious places where you go, hey, um, you need to be reading your Bible every day. I would say yes and amen to that. You need to be listening to worship music. I would say yes and amen to that. You need to be going to a vibrant, life-giving church. I would say yes and amen to that. But you have to understand, God cares so much more than just about the few little cubbies we tend to allot him to. Like, we tend to allot him to, like, there's a couple little cubbies that I think if I include God in those little cubbies of my soul, um, then I'm doing good. I have a vibrant relationship with God. Do that with your significant other and see how vibrant your relationship is. Like only allow them into a few little cubbies of you and see how long this thing lasts. It will not. And if it does, there will be a massive root of bitterness that begins to occur. There will be parts of you that you feel are unknown and they know I've never tapped into that piece of you before. You cannot truly, I'm, I'm serious, you cannot truly have a, any relationship with any human being without there being some level of intimacy, appropriate intimacy. And I think honestly, at the end of the day, in order to cultivate a relationship that where God is the center, both people involved have to be being intimate with the Lord. Yeah, and what I, what I mean by that is not just allotting him to the cubbies, right? Not just saying, hey, I, I did my five chapters a day, sped read the thing, you know what I mean? Like, got it done. I listened to, you know, the new song by Red Rocks Worship, and I had a little bit of a tear formulate in my left eye. Um, you know, I, I went to church, you know, at least three out of four Sundays this month. You know, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm talking about genuine intimacy that doesn't look like cultural Christianity. I'm talking about inviting God into spaces no one you do life with is also inviting him into. That is what it looks like to build a relationship with the Lord. And in, like, one of my favorite things about my wife is that girl will check me. Yo, that girl will check me. She'll be like, dude, and we were just talking about this just off in the cabin. I was like, yo, Beth encourages me. She is, one, she is the biggest support. If there is anybody on this planet that believes in the call of God on my life, it is that woman. I, I, there's nothing that feels better to me than that. But that girl believes in my calling and my relationship with God so much, she will check me in a heartbeat if she sees anything. And she doesn't wait for it to get like real big. And that's our problem, is we wait for these problems to get huge before we address it. Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15, if my memory serves me correctly, says this, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. Most of us wait till the fox grows up to become a wolf and has already destroyed the vineyard, right? To try to address it like, yo, this is a problem. And God's saying it's better to address it while it's still a little fox. But most of the time it's, it's awkward 
and most of us, we don't have the humility to let other people check us. Like we don't have the humility. As soon as they check me, I'm like, well, well I, I, you know, like, who are you? Like, I, I saw you do this one thing one time. Like, who, who, who are you? Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? You hot tub Jesus, you know? <laughs> like we, we, we don't let people in. We don't have genuine accountability. And it, everybody loves the thought of accountability and having somebody who can speak into your life until it's actually time <laughs> for them to hold you accountable and speak into your life. Because the Bible says this, correction is fun to no one. Like no one enjoys it, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness is what the scriptures say. Correction is never fun at the time it is given, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so I would say if you are in a, a, a godly relationship, looks like being able to hold each other accountable to your individual relationships with God, if that makes sense. No, I love that. And a word that popped into my mind when I read this was keeping Christ at the center of a relationship is obedience. Absolutely. I talked to so many young adults and none of you in this room because you're super spiritual and you're up here on retreat. It's all the heathens that only come on Thursdays. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, I talked to so many of them and they're like, Connor, we need some wisdom. We need some counsel. We want God in the center of our relationship. We're living together. We're sleeping together before we're married. We're Go doing there. this. We're doing that. But we want to pray together and we want to read our Bible together. And I think that we have this weird thing that keeping God at the center of our relationship is like, I saw this picture of like me getting on my knees in my bedroom floor and my wife getting on her knees and us like facing each other and like holding hands and like praying together. And people are like, that's God at the center. That's not God at the center. That's called praying together. You know what I mean? Like that's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like God at the center is you being obedient to what God has said is good because it's not, I think sometimes you're like, God doesn't want me sleeping around because he thinks like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like an STD or like have a kid out of wedlock and it's going to be, no, like when God says to do something, it's, it's because it's good and it's not just because it's spiritually good or morally good. And if you don't do that, you're a morally bad person. It is because it is good for you. Yeah. It is good for your relationships. Everything that God said in his word is set up for you to flourish. And so when God tells you no, it's not because he's trying to like take you off and like make you wait or be desperate or God, my biological clock is ticking. Am I gonna have to freeze my eggs? Like whatever. Like, it's like, no, God is, God is like, God is like, for your benefit, I am telling you how to have a relationship that will flourish in your life. And I think we've, we've twisted this idea of God at the center of we read Jesus calling together every morning when we roll over in bed together, but we're not married. And it's like, you got to take the first step of obedience for God to be at the center of your relationship. If I'm being honest, my wife and I, we pray together for sure, but not super often. Like, and maybe that's like bad. I don't know. I know she prays. She knows I pray. And when we have things as a family, we're trying to figure out, we pray together. But every day we're not like holding hands being like, Jesus come like, da, da, da. like, I don't know, maybe we should. But like, like I said, Jesus at the center of a relationship is two people walking in obedience. Absolutely. That's, that's Jesus at the center. I have a story. It's not my personal story, but it's a story that provoked me so, so much. There's a pastor and he put out this, this blog and he was talking about a time he was up at the altar and this couple come up, comes up to him <clears throat> in the church and uh, they said, pastor, would you, would you pray 
and bless our relationship. Like we just want the hand of God on our relationship. And he says, I would love to. Uh, can I ask you a question though, real quick? And they're like, absolutely. He says, um, are y'all married? They're like, no, we're not married yet. We're not married yet. And uh, then he says, okay, well, I, I have to ask a further question. Are you guys living and sleeping together? And they just look at him and they go, yeah, we are. But like, what does that have to do? He says, oh, okay, um, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to decline to pray and bless this relationship. And they were like, wait, what? Like, why? Why won't you bless our relationship? He said, I can't ask God to bless something I know he will not bless. Like, I'm not gonna pray a prayer I know God's not gonna answer. So I, I'm sorry, but until you guys repent of this blatant, obvious sin you are willingly walking in, I can't bless something God won't bless. And you know what they did? They walked back down the aisle, flipping him off. This is where our generation's at. Pastor, please bless our relationship. Are you living together? Yeah, I'm sorry, I won't bless it. Screw you. Like, th th this is where we're at, and this is a problem. And it, it, it's funny, like, we wanna read the Bible together. No, you only wanna read certain parts of the Bible together. <laughs> yeah, for real. You just want, there's certain parts you want. Because I promise you, you darken the doorstep of some of like Pauline, the Pauline epistles, like some of the stuff Paul wrote, where he says, flee sexual immorality. <laughs> like you don't want to read that together. You just want to read the Jeremiah 29 11s and the John 3 16s. Like we want to read the Bible so we can tell people we read the Bible together. You don't actually care what the Bible has to say. And I think that's, that's where our, our problem is. We want to look good, but not be good. And if you're in this room and you're like, wow, I, I've, y'all are throwing shade at my personal situation. Right, right, yeah, I, yeah. Listen, listen, think about what he talked about last night. God's loving grace knew this situation was gonna happen before yes. he called you into salvation and a relationship with yes. him. What are we talking about? What is best for you? Absolutely. You wanna know one of the coolest, this isn't supposed to be a relationship podcast, but... Um, <laughs> But I had a couple, one of the first weddings I ever officiated at Red Rocks Church. It might have been my first wedding I ever officiated at Red Rocks. I had a couple. Uh, I gave the announcements at Big Church. And so I think they thought I was like the main, pat. they thought I was like Sean or something. And they were like, Pastor, Pastor, hey, can you come and marry us? And I was like, uh, am I allowed to do that? Like, <laughs> sure. Um, and so I, I got it cleared. And, uh, but the guy, the, the soon-to-be husband goes, hey, obviously we have a situation on our hand. And that situation was the girl was seven months pregnant. And he said it that way and pointed to her stomach. So I feel okay like saying that. He was like, obviously we have done some things in reverse order. We live together. We're expecting our first kid. We, we just started coming to church. We put our faith in Jesus. We want to get married. What do we do? And I was like, can I, can I challenge you? They're getting, they were getting married in like two weeks. They wanted to do this like as soon as possible. I was like, I wanna, I wanna offer you a challenge. I want you to live separately and not sleep together for two weeks until your wedding night. Um, and you know, you guys like in Denver, like cultural Christianity is not a thing. Like blew their mind. Like why, like why would we do that? But what was so cool is God's spirit was moving because the guy was like, I don't know why, but I feel like that's right. Like I should do that. So for two weeks, this guy slept on his brother's couch. They didn't have sex. And after their wedding, he said, I don't know why, but he was like, I just feel like even in our situation, God is so pleased 
with how we have chosen to obey and honor him in this relationship. And I was like, dude, you have no idea how pleased God is with you because for two weeks, you said, God, I'm gonna do relationships your way. And that is a picture of putting God at the center of, yep, of your relationship. I just wanna acknowledge, like, thank you for being a real shepherd. Like in today's day and world, we have very few pastors who are actually willing to lovingly try to counsel people in a way that like the Bible says God will actually get on that. Like God will actually put his hand on that. I mean, we, I just want to give a quick testimony. Again, this is not supposed to be a relationship talk, but um, I just think this testimony is so powerful. This was a couple in our young adult ministry. Um, the guy had a very checkered past. I believe the girl did too. And um, they were living together. They were cohabitating. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you can kind of tell, I'm not a very shy guy. You know what I mean? So like when I'm, when I'm preaching, like I tend to like, I don't, I don't really try to pull the punches. I try to make it plain, make it very clear. And so I'm preaching and they can, they hear where I stand. And it's, I only stand where I stand because the Bible stands where it stands, right? Like, like don't blame me. I just read it. I didn't write it. You know what I mean? Like, and so I remember the guy comes up and he wanted to be on the worship team. And on our worship team, there are a list of stipulations you have to agree to in order to be on this worship team. You really have to sign a code of conduct that says you are willing to adhere to these things in order to stand on this platform. Um, because I think anyone who stands and ministers on this platform ought to be doing their darndest to live a holy life. It's not to say that you're perfect. It's not to say that you are without sin. It's not to say that you are no longer in need of the grace of God, but you are not willingly walking in overt, blatant sin, right? And then when you do, you're quick to repent. So he reads it, and he's got a problem with the fact that they're obviously cohabitating, living together, doing all the things that come along with cohabitating, and like, our kind of like list of statutes says like, like you can't, that can't be happening. Do you agree to this? He comes up to the office, kind of challenges me. Like, is kind of like not very happy, all right? Um, and this guy like was hood at one point, okay? He's like, at this moment, he's like kind of like barely saved, you know? And he comes up and he's like, well, show me in the Bible where this isn't right. And I said, okay, give me a second. I'm, I'm a little busy. You caught me in the middle of something. I know you got stuff you got to do. I will send you a list of scriptures that speak to why we have this in our code of conduct. He says, okay, so he leaves. I send him several, lists, uh, several scriptures that talk about how, you know, that marriage belongs in between one man and one woman who are married, okay? We can no longer just say a married couple. It belongs between one man and one woman who are married, right? And, you know, there's a scripture that comes to my mind. You know, the marriage bed is undefiled. Well, if the marriage bed is the bed that's undefiled, every other bed is defiled, right? If the Bible's having to tell you the one bed that's not defiled is the marriage bed, any other bed, defiled, right? Trying to explain this stuff to him. He sees it in the Bible and he goes, okay. And he goes home and he talks to his, his girlfriend at the time and they pray together and they decide, you know what we're gonna do? We are gonna get married, like literally this weekend. He comes back up to the office. He says, pastor, I just want you to know, thank you. Thank you for pointing us in the right direction. We prayed about it. We saw the scriptures. We felt convicted. And last night I slept on the couch. I said, bro, you slept on the couch? He said, I slept in a box for drugs one time. I can sleep on the couch for God. I was like, bro, like if I had a thousand more just like you, we'd change the world. People who see the Bible, see their life, feel the conviction of the Lord and say, I'm gonna act. 
Like we wanna be obedient. And man, like their marriage has thrived. They're, they're small group leaders who lead a small group in their home. I mean, they are thriving. They've gotten job promotions. I mean, God has just opened the windows of heaven over them. And I do think that that sign of obedience was almost like a first fruits offering to the Lord. And like, yeah, it's just has shown up over and over and over. Just like, you cannot go wrong obeying the Lord in those areas, yeah. And, and listen, I'm not ignorant to the fact that we're in 2023 living in Denver, Colorado, um, and there's a lot of various cultural opinions on this, this topic. Um, there's no condemnation None. for those who are in Christ. Every moment is an opportunity for you to step into obedience, and God never holds your sin over your head. He only invites you in Amen. to receive grace. So I hope anybody who's hearing this that, that might feel a little bit of conviction. This isn't to shame you or make Not an example all. out of you, but just like I was saying earlier, this is because I truly believe that the way of Jesus is the best way, not just to heaven, but for life right now. And, and I honestly want everybody to experience that. Okay, moving on. Last relationship question, but I, I feel like this is, this is kind of an interesting one. Um, Somebody wrote in this, and I would love to hear your thoughts. I, I believe in submitting to a man, but my question is why? I know the Bible talks that, about you have to, and in the beginning, Eve was created from Adam's rib, but why can't we have our own lives? Why were we made for somebody else? Well, dang. Okay. <laughs> I, this can, a good can, one. I, can I clarify something yeah, super clarify. quick? Yeah. The Bible never tells women to submit to men. It tells wives to submit to husbands. And so I think, I think that... <laughs> okay, I hit a nerve. <laughs> but but I, think we have, I think we have this narrative in our good. culture... Um, and it goes, it's toxic both ways. Toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. I'm better, you're better. Submit to me, no, submit to me. The Bible has a, a beautiful picture of humanity working um, like side by side in marital relationships. That's where submission is talked about. And so, and if you disagree with that, feel free to disagree. Like I don't I, disagree at all. Okay. I don't disagree I, at all. I, I now honestly I'm going to really, kick it to you. I really love that you pointed that out, that it does not say women submit to men. It says wives submit to your husbands. Um, and the, this, this is a direct quote from Ephesians chapter five. I mean, you saw, I broke, busted up my Bible in the second he went there. This is Ephesians my five. <laughs> um, because I just wanted to be able to, uh, to just like read it direct. It, this is literally, the header here is Ephesians chapter five. This is, starts at verse 22. It's uh, wives and husbands. It says this, I'll speed read. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself is his savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. That is not where chapter five ends. It continues. It says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if you really think about it, who has the bigger task here? Husbands. Like, wives are just said, hey, submit to him. Husbands are like, give your, give your whole self up. Really what it's saying is husbands got to be ready to die. For their wife. That's what it looked like for Jesus to give himself up for the church. It doesn't mean I gave up Friday night football. <laughs> that is not you giving yourself up for your wife. This means I am willing to let anything and everything die in my life that is keeping you from being able to submit to me. 
And this is the beautiful thing is that when the husband is fully doing his job, it is the most natural thing for a woman to submit to a man of that nature. A woman desires to to submit to a man like that. The reason we push back to this is because there are so few men that fit this criteria. And that's why it's so hard for women because it's like, guys, we're not doing our job. And this is, I'm not trying to get brownie points with the girls. Like, I'm really not. Like, I'm not over here simping, okay? I'm really not. I'm just trying to make it plain, all right? That the reason women have so pushed back is because men have not stood up. And if we would stand up, walk the dog, there it was. This border collie's getting away. Okay. But if we would stand up, And we would be willing to at any moment, listen to me, I am preaching to myself. This is an area after three years of marriage, I am still hitting my head against in areas. And again, like I I think, and I I believe I'm not putting words in my wife's mouth. I think she would say that uh, I'm I'm a great man to submit to. Like I really do desire to lead our family in the direction of God. I try to, I'm submitted to him. So therefore it should be easy to submit to me. But this is still places, there are still spaces in our relationship where I need to get better. I need to do more. I need to be willing to lay it down more for her. And there are places where, guys, we got to be willing to lay down so our wives can stand up. Because I'm sick and tired of this narrative that like God only, ha- God only intends to use one of the two species he created. Like as if like women are just there to like hand clap and like make a casserole and, you know, I don't know, brown chicken, brown cow. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm kind of sick and tired of that being the narrative because women, listen to me, God wants to use you. God allowed there to be two books in the whole Bible named after women, Ruth and Esther. God intends to use you. And anything that misogynistic people have pigeon held and tried to use as like our scripture for why you have to just sit there and submit and be quiet and shut up and learn in private and just ask your husbands. You don't understand the cultural context of when this was written and actually what Paul was addressing. Um, yeah, because I mean, in, in some moments, like in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses, hey, women ought to be prophesying, but they ought to prophesy with a head covering. So it's like, I thought women couldn't speak in church, but then Paul's saying like, no, let prophesy. You know what I mean? Like, we'll let, you, we'll, we'll let you play the piano, but you can't speak. You know what I mean? It's so weird how we, how we orchestrate things. You can sing, but you can't speak, okay? Our songs are sermons. You understand that? Everything last night was a sermon. And so I just think whenever the man is doing his job, I should say this further, the husband is doing his job, it becomes the most natural thing in the world for a wife to submit to a husband like that. You actually have an internal innate longing to submit to a man like that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I don't, I don't have anything else to, to add to that. We're going we're gonna to shift gears real quick and kind of get off the relationship topic because I feel like there's a lot of amazing questions. And then right around when we're wrapping up, we might just hit some rapid fire here. But here, I think this is a really cool question. Um, I saw a lot of hands go up at Young Adults last Thursday and a lot of hands go up uh, last night. Uh, and so somebody said, what is just a good place in the Bible? Like what are some book recommendations in the Bible for someone that is brand new to engaging in the Bible? Where's like a great place to start? 
Yeah, for me, I always tell people start in the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John. Uh, John's Gospel, thank you. God's, uh, it is God's Gospel, but John's Gospel that God used John to write. Um, is really good. Um, there, the, there's four gospels, and sometimes we can get a little confused as to why we would need four that all tell the same story. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are called the synoptic gospels. Think about the word, synoptic. It just means same optic. They are writing from a very similar vantage point, which is why they all cover a lot of the same miracles, the same moments, kind of highlight the same things. Church history would tell us that John, by the way, John, who writes the Gospel of John, is the only disciple who did not die by martyrdom, who was not killed for his faith. And it wasn't for a lack of trying, okay? They tried to kill the dude. Literally, church history tells us they tried to boil him alive in oil, and they mockingly called it his anointing because they knew that the church of Jesus Christ, like people of the way, used oil to anoint. So they're like, John, we are leading you to your anointing. Little did they know he had an anointing greater than their anointing, and it kept him alive in that oil, right? So they pull him out. Well, then he's like, I'm still alive, and I'm here today to preach the gospel. They can't shut him up. So they end up exiling him to an island called Patmos, right? But before he is exiled, he, church, the church history tells us this, that the church approached him. He's the last living person who literally walked with physical, tangible Jesus. And they say, John, we want you to write your gospel account. And John writes, knowing there's already a Matthew, knowing there's already a Mark, and knowing there's already a Luke, and he writes specifically to cover what he feels they may have left out, which is why John has a completely different feel John is really trying to highlight the fact that Jesus was the literal son of God. Because in this moment, I know this is getting a little deep, this is getting a little deep, but in this moment, there were these heresies, like false teachings kind of arising that Jesus wasn't really the son of God. So John writes his gospel to put those heresies out. And if you're having a hard time really getting into scripture, finding a place with the Lord, knowing even where to start studying, I think you need to start in the book that really highlights that Jesus is the son of God and he is the perfect image of the father, right? That, that is what John highlights over and over and over. And I honestly think, you didn't ask for a history lesson, but I just think that uh, the gospel of John is an immaculate place to start. Yeah, I second that. Gospel of John or Leviticus for me. That's a no. Oh, <laughs> I love me some Leviticus. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I second everything that he says there. Um, this is a really cool question, and, and I think that um, this is something that actually happened at retreat a year ago or two years ago, and I felt like there was so much freedom in the room. Somebody said, how can I be free of the embarrassment of confessing my sin to my friends and my community? I, you will be embarrassed, um, but the freedom that comes on the other side of embarrassment is a million times more worth the three seconds of embarrassment and you'll be shocked at how often the thing that you're willing to confess will give courage to somebody to also confess that they're wrestling with the same thing. That's why the Bible says confess your sin one to another. I think we get good at confessing our sin to God because we know that there's grace, but the Bible says when we confess to each other, there's healing. We think God brings the healing and he does, but oftentimes the Bible says that when we are willing to open up to community, we receive healing. 
Some of you are waiting for healing from God that can only come from confession to a friend. And as soon as you get the courage to confess, you'll receive the healing that you're looking for. I, I don't know that I could say it any better. Um, I second everything that he just said. Um, I just really think, yeah, <clears throat> you have to get over. This really does just show how we have idolized our idea of security. I want healing, but still want to feel secure while I do it. And really what we want is we want Jesus to take us off in a back corner, heal us of all our stuff, so we can come out of that back corner and act like we never needed healing in the first place. That's what we want. We're like, God, heal me where no one can see me, so then I can strut my healing and act like I was this way all along. And I would just say this, God can't get glory from a story you are unwilling to tell. Like God can get no glory. God, here's what I'll say this. God is not gonna tell your testimony for you. It's your job. And if you read the book of Revelation, it says this, that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. You know who the accuser of the brethren is? It's, it's the devil, right? He accuses us day and night, night and day. It says the accuser of the brethren has been cast down and it tells us how, the, how we overcame him. It says this, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It's the blood of Jesus and then your story, your specific story about that, what that blood did for you. That's how you overcome the devil. And your problem isn't, again, this is why the, these two things go in tandem. Because what Pastor Connor is saying is like, you're looking for healing from God that can only come from telling a friend. You have the blood of the lamb. You just haven't spoken about the word of your testimony. And the accuser of the brethren will not be cast down until both of those things show up. You get the blood of the lamb and you start releasing the word of your testimony. You start getting confident in what God has done. And you know, I often think of this like, a, like people with their before and after photos, you know what I mean? It's so funny to me. People go through like this physical, I mean, I would do it too, but the physical like transformation, right? And they post a picture of themselves that at one point, had, been, had that photo been leaked on the internet, they would have died had that photo been leaked. But now they confidently post it because they're so confident that that's not who they are anymore. Look at how far I've come. And honestly, our inability to confess what God has done for us just shows we still too tightly associate with the previous version of ourselves. I still see myself as that thing when I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is, 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 not will be, is a new creation. All things have passed away. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is not a one day pie in the sky and the hereafter you'll finally be made new. No, if you have received the blood of Jesus, you are a new creation and it's time you get convinced of it. I mean, I think that's why this whole thing is like, we're, like the newness that God creates a new thing. I mean, it's the whole theme um, of this retreat and we just got, we've got to become convinced of the new thing. Yeah. We really do. No, I love that. And you can't, you can't avoid the embarrassment. No. You just really can't. Yeah, because you're telling somebody, hey, what I'm about to tell you is going to change the way you think about me. But what you don't understand is that it's actually probably going to draw more relational equity when you think that it's going to distance yourself from them. So I'm, we're going to do two more questions in, in more of like a long style format, and then we'll do like three or four rapid fire real quick. Um, I think this is, this is a good question to talk about in our day and age because 
this is a word, this is something that is thrown out and is real. I'm not trying to uh, devalidate anything, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this. How would you deal with betrayal or hurt coming from a church staff member or a church leader? How do I deal with church hurt? Jeez. Number one, I would just say for whoever wrote this question and for those of you who can relate to it, I want you to know from the deepest place within me, I am sorry. I'm just sorry. Like I can, as a pastor, as a minister, I'm just sorry that this is even a a thought, that this is even a struggle because the people who are called to emulate Jesus should just be that, that we are called to emulate him. We're called to make much of him not make much of ourselves. And I'm just ridiculously sorry that anybody did not live up to that. Because the truth is this, is like, there are standards for people who do what we do. There are these books called the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus that speak to the criteria of men who do what we do, who stand behind a platform, you know, that sacred desk, that that pulpit, and they bring forth a word. It's not a willy-nilly thing. There's criteria for that. And I'm sorry when people stoop below that. And I would just say this, if you've ever been hurt by church leaders or spiritual leaders, religious leaders, I want you to know right now, Jesus can relate to you. You gotta remember, it wasn't the Romans who put Jesus on the cross. It was the Pharisees. It was the Jews. They were the ones outside of Pilate's temple outside of his courtroom yelling, crucify him, who five days before that were yelling, Hosanna in the highest, laying down their coats, laying down palm branches. You know what I'm saying? And then five days later, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. They were the ones. That is why Peter could look in the face of people and say, the Jesus we preach is the Jesus you crucified. He's not preaching to Romans. He's preaching to Jews. And Jesus was literally murdered by people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. So I want you to know there is a deep place of empathy and genuine, almost camaraderie that God has with people who carry church hurt. And I just wanna say this, you were hurt by a man or a woman. You were not hurt by God. You have to make that delineation. They were a man or a woman, and yes, they should have embodied and been the right picture and illustration of him, but you have to remember, you were hurt by them. You were not hurt by Jesus. Jesus has never dropped anybody. Jesus has never betrayed anybody, and that's, I think, the delineation we have to make, but honestly, I, I think there's, there's counseling that you need to receive, and do not give up on the global body of Christ. I think people like us, if we ever fall beneath the standard, need to be held accountable. But just because somebody like us failed you does not mean that you give up on the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that you give up on leaning in to church attendance. As soon as you hear something, like, or as soon as you find out that the church you're attending is like propagating heresy or preaching unsound doctrine, leave. But then find a church that preaches it right right? Find a church that's teaching sound stuff, you know? Um, it doesn't mean that you, you go through it. And I honestly think it's our inability because it, people like us get inebriated by the spotlight. We want to stand up here. And that's why I tried to highlight Pastor Connor last night. 
So you could see a man who stands up and does what he does is not being willy-nilly. He is, he is seeking the Lord. And I'm not saying that he's perfect. And I'm not saying that literally he eats, sleeps, and breathes the carpet because he's down there just on his face, on his face just seeking the Lord nonstop. But I can promise you the heart posture is always the same. Everything I've ever seen from you, there's been no discrepancy. I've watched. I've looked. At this stage in my life, I need to see it. If I am going to yoke myself to somebody, if I'm going to say yes to an event, I am saying yes to coming alongside and almost giving a, 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 an endorsement, if you will. And so I'm very particular with who I try to affiliate with and who I try to rubber stamp. I'm looking for those things. And I, I'm telling you, as, as Jesus said in, in John chapter one to a man named Nathaniel, this is a man in whom there is no guile. This is a man in whom there is no deceit. And I can tell you right now, you are in a house, you are under some leadership that is doing their darndest to preach the true gospel and love you where you're at, but lead you to where God's called you to be. And you're in a safe place. And I would say, if you've ever been hurt by the church, this is a safe man and a safe woman to come and talk to. Well, thank you. I did not expect that. Um, and we have the privilege of meeting a lot of different guests, and it, it goes both ways. We have, we have the privilege of, of getting to invite people, getting dinner with them, getting to know them and their family. And unfortunately, not everyone is as shiny as they seem on stage. Um, and this guy's squeaky clean as well. So give him a follow. Go help him out. Love him. Bless him. He's a part of the Y family and community. Um, I, I want to add one thing because I, I have a mentor who told me this, and it really broke my heart but sobered me up. Um, when I was an intern, I met with one of my mentors named Scott, and he, he told me, like, hey, as a pastor, because I had somebody who was frustrated with me, and I felt justified. Um, and he was like, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to be okay with being the villain in somebody's story. Um, and from my heart and from Kenan's heart, I will never in my physical, mental, emotional ability do anything to intentionally try to wound somebody, but I will wound somebody because I am imperfect and in need of a savior. Just, just because my job is different from you does not mean my, my circumstance and my salvation is any different. Like, uh, there, there's times where I feel like when Paul's like, I am the king, the chief of all sinners. Like, that is me. Um, and that is a weight that I think that like a lot of us have to bear. But, but like he said, like, here's my, here's my, my plea. If I hurt you, Go to a different young adult ministry. Like if I say something that just frustrates you or pisses you off or you can't reconcile, like one, know that my, my heart, my posture is never to just offend you, but never give up on Jesus or his church because he is the only one that is perfect. He is the only one that will challenge you and pull you in to like make you better. Like I might have a moment where I'm frustrated. I might have a moment where I've got like, but, but Jesus is the one that our faith is in. It's not in a pastor. It's not in an influencer. It's not in a great preacher. It's not, a, it's in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. And that is where like our faith is placed. And so again, like if you were hurt by a pastor or a church, I'm so sorry. And and here's the sobering reality for that person and us. We will give an account one day. We will stand before God Almighty and give an account for what we say, what we do, how we act, and how we treat people. And the Bible says that don't, don't desire to do this because you will give a greater account. 
Like, um, there's some sermons that come to my mind that I've preached where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to give an account for that one. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but, but for real, um, Jesus loves you deeply. Never give up. Never give up on Jesus. Um, here's our last, our last kind of long format one, and then we'll rapid fire. And I think this is something that everybody in life is just kind of like figuring out. How do I know if basically God is leading me to do something or it's something that I just desire to do in and of myself? How do I discern if this is like God's will, God's leading, or if this is just something that I want to do and God, I'm like hoping God like gives me the green light or something like that? But this is a question um, I don't know that you ever get the full answer to. So like, let me just like make that abundantly clear. I, I am not an expert by any means. Like, I don't want to ever couch myself as the guy who like has answers. Like, I know a few things. Like, obviously there's an anointing and a call like on, on our lives and stuff and we're here to help. But we by no means like have the Bible memorized or know all this stuff. And so we're just sharing out of what we know of scripture and what we've personally experienced with the Lord. This question right here is why I'm so passionate about the fact that we have to, we have to remember God still speaks. Because if you don't believe God still speaks, like you're doomed. Like you're doomed. Like you are sitting there just doing the, the best you can. Because like there have been plenty of times like I needed an answer that this book did not provide. Like, it just didn't. Like, it does not say in, you know, in black and white, hey, do this. I, I couldn't just go, oh, yeah. Now, it, the Bible speaks to many things. And the Bible also kind of like shores its own little places where it leaves it a little gray up by saying there is safety in a multitude of counselors, okay? A lot of us think if I have two or three voices in my life that can speak into me, I'm good. Two or three is not a multitude, I don't know about you, but if I ever like had a guy who was like, come preach for me, Kena, we've got a multitude. And I show up to preach at his ministry and there's two people in the audience, I'm gonna be like, bro, you lied. Like, <laughs> this is not a multitude, right? Like two does not qualify as a multitude. You need a lot of people is what the scripture is saying who can speak into your life. And sometimes you have to piggyback off other people's wisdom. You gotta piggyback off other people's discernment when you maybe your discernment is too muddied because your emotions are now involved and your desires are now involved. Like it's hard to differentiate when you're like, I really want it to be this. Like I'll be straight up honest. Like before I met Beth, there were plenty of times I was like, yeah, like with different girlfriends, I was like, this is the girl I'm gonna marry. Like different girls. They ain't the girl I married. And I had to eat crow later on. And that's the thing is like, if you wanna ever pull the whole God told me to break up card, like, cause we always want to pull that of like, yeah, God told me to break up. Like I'm being so obedient. Wow. I'm genuinely following the voice of the Lord. Honestly, what you're saying is I was disobedient when I got in this relationship because if God's now asking you to get out, he never asked you to get in. And I think it'd be way easier to play the God card. If we play the God card on ourselves and says, Hey, I was disobedient. It's not God's calling me away from you. It's I'm sorry that I did not have the discernment and the maturity to understand what I was doing. I obviously still need a lot of work and I'm obviously probably not even a man who's worthy of your attention right now. So I'm so sorry. Like, I think that's, that's refreshing. Wouldn't it be refreshing for somebody to pull that card rather than God told me to break up with you. So I think, I think that's really important. And you know, my dad always kind of taught me this. There's this thing called green light theology, green light theology. And it's basically where you tell God, God, Everything I can tell about this situation in this scenario, all of it honors you. 
There's not a facet of it that I can see obviously violates scripture, and there's nobody telling me I shouldn't do it. So I am going to proceed, and if this is not you, slam the door. But I will proceed until I get a red light. But as long as there's still a green light, I'm gonna move forward. You see in the book of Acts, Paul will say this, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. That's the terminology he uses. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to go to Macedonia. He's like, I don't know, seemed right. You know what I mean? Like, kind of feels good, you know? And sometimes that's the best you have to go off of is like, this seems like what God wants me to do. Like, I, I can't find a way where it, it, it goes against the written word of God. I don't feel like I am in any way violating a conviction of mine. Everyone I have submitted this to says like, this sounds right. Like, this is in line with what I see on your life. So I'm going to proceed. There are other moments where God makes it abundantly clear. And this is why I'm such a big proponent of the prophetic, right? You cannot read the Bible and come away with the fact that prophecy is not for today. You need a backslidden theologian to help you come away with that, right? Like that, oh, well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased when the canon of scripture was finalized and the last apostle died. Where's that in the Bible? Like you legitimately need a backslidden theologian to help you come away with that. If you just read the Bible, you're like, all this stuff is still going on. So God is still speaking. And the question is, are we listening? The question is, are we truly submitted or are we trying to get God to rubber stamp our idea? And so I think if you've really come away with God, here it is, it's on the altar. Like I have laid, I'm done, I've done Genesis 22. Isaac is on the altar, God. I'm about to run him through. If you don't speak, this thing's gonna die. Put, put, put God at, take God at his word. God is a big boy. He will speak. The question really is, are we listening? And again, I wanna come back to that whole thing of there's safety in the multitude of counselors. And even when it rubs you wrong and it's not what you want, if the, if the leadership in your life is saying, hey, this just does not seem like a good idea, here's this red flag, here's this red flag, here's this red flag, nobody can force you to make a certain choice, but you are wise if you listen to the counsel of the word of God and to the counsel of the, of the spiritual counsel in your life. Yeah, I, I agree. And actually, my wife and I were just talking about this uh, a little earlier today is, um, why, why does God not just speak super clearly on everything? You know what I mean? Like God, this job or this job. Um, but, but here's what I find is God has a very high view of humanity. Yes. In, in Genesis one, God created us to, to tend what God's creation to, to care for it. And if you notice, God gives very broad sweeping instruction he doesn't say, Adam, go plant a tulip right here. Then I want you to plant a pine tree right here. And then I want you to plant some corn and then green beans. And then what, like, he says, hey, I've made you in my image. You have my spirit. You're an intelligent person. There will be times where God will say, hey, green bean. You know what I mean? Like corn, like right there. But then other times, God, like he's saying, your heart's in alignment you're submitted to scripture and authority, and God will say, choose, because I've made you in my image. And, and honestly, there might not be a wrong answer here. And you as a free will, autonomous human being made in God's image, made to co-rule, we don't, we don't like that word because it feels subversive to the authority of Jesus, but Jesus is the one that called us like co-rulers 
in new earth and new heaven to co-rule under the authority and lordship of Jesus. And part of co-ruling sometime is making decisions for yourself. And so while I wish God would wake me up and say, Connor, stop wearing all black shirts. <laughs> Wear this. You'll look skinnier. Whatever, like whatever. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't do that. You know, like we don't, we don't ask Jesus about what t-shirts to wear, but we want to ask you, you know what I mean? Like, and so I, there are times too, when your life, like he's saying, like you, there might not be a, a black and white Bible verse for every situation you're going through. That's when you lean on your relationship with the Holy Spirit, wisdom from authority and elders, people in your life who love Jesus. Are you walking in obedience? Are, have you, are you walking in freedom and you don't have sin and bondage in your life? Then I think sometimes you can just make a wise decision. So True. Yeah, okay. Rapid fire. We've been going for almost an hour. We're gonna get like three or four more questions Time in. Time flies when you're having fun, right? For real. Come on. Okay, we're going to get a little weird here. But I some, like weird. Somebody wrote this. ODD. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on Leviticus 15. Yo, let's go. <laughs> Wait, hold on. If memory serves me right, that has to do with bodily discharge. I'm just yes. kidding. I don't know that when I looked it up because I saw it in the questions deal. Yeah. Like, I don't know my Bible that well. I'm like, if memory serves me right. It does have to do with bodily discharges. It does. And so maybe this was a longer question. There's, here's the question I'm going to glean from what was asked. And we're going to jump back into interpersonal relational questions, I guess. Yeah, come on. Masturbation. Yeah. Good, bad, indifferent. What do you... If you, you read I, Leviticus 15, it's sort of on that, 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 that thought process. So that's I mean, where we I'm could go there. From. I mean, we're talking about discharges. So... Um, <laughs> Um, but you're asking my opinion. My opinion, um, it's bad. I, I, I don't see a place in any, in, in any of the scriptures where sexuality is used to serve self. Yeah. It's just not. Like literally the whole point of sex is, the, the, Paul literally spells it out. Husbands, your body no longer belongs to you. It belongs to your wife. Wives, your body no longer belongs to you. It belongs to your husband. That just means you should be serving your husband or your wife sexually, right? Sex ought to be about the other person in marriage, not how can I reach my little peak, okay? Like, it's not about that. So I, I think the same is true in singleness, right? Because we're all in a relationship. Everybody's like, we raised our hands. Are you in a relationship? We're all in a relationship with Jesus, how are you serving Jesus while you're off in a corner masturbating? Like, how are you loving on him? How is that in any way? Trusting him. You know, what, you know what makes God feel loved? Trust. God, I'm willing to no longer, I'm willing to say no to this sexual urge and surge that I feel right now because I know your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I know one day you will allow me to fulfill this desire in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you and my wife. I, I just genuinely think that. Also, people want to be like, masturbation is mentioned in the Bible. You know what I mean? And again, this is why there are certain spaces in the scriptures that aren't like, Black and white, it doesn't spell it out. Um, but Jesus, if you ask me, he alludes to it. Because when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, he is listing all these things and he starts handling lust, right? And he takes it, he says, you've heard, don't sleep, don't, don't sleep with somebody else, right? I tell you, if you even look at a woman, 
with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. That's what Jesus says. He says, if you look at a woman, not if you verbalize it, not if you cat call her, not if you talk dirty to her, right? If you look at her, this has to do with what's going on privately in your world. No one else knows about it but you and God. Then he says this. So he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Talking about how you express your sexuality in private. Without a doubt, if you ask me, Jesus is alluding to masturbation in that moment. And he says, it is better to enter into heaven with a hand missing than to have your whole body thrown into the lake of fire, okay? Now, obviously, just so we're all on the same page, I do not believe that if you have ever masturbated or you've self-gratified or anything like that, that you are now literally damned to hell, okay? My, my Bible says that if you put your faith in Jesus, his blood covers all your sin, past, present, and future. It has nothing to do with your own righteousness or your own ability or inability and everything to do with his righteousness, right? So I, I don't want anyone to feel condemned, but I do want you to see the significance and the weight that Jesus gives this topic. He is talking about how you conduct yourself sexually where no one can see. If you look at a woman, no one knows if you're looking or how you're looking, but you and the Lord. He says, it's better to pluck your eye out or it's better to cut your hand off if it's causing you to sin in such a way sexually in private where no one knows it. And I honestly believe that's a reference to masturbation. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, Imagining entering into heaven without a hand, people are like, well, we know what's going on there. Sorry, man. We know what Jesus forgave them of. No, it's like, no, what are you up to? Talking. Nubbin? I mean, nothing? It's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I can see your nub, but what are you up to? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Gosh. No, that was so good. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, I mean, imagine this. The Bible says this, we don't know the hour to which Jesus is coming back. Here's the question you have to ask. What do you want to be caught doing when Jesus splits the sky? <laughs> yeah. Like literally, no one knows the hour. No one knows the day. No one knows the season. What do you want to be found doing when Jesus splits the sky? The trumpet sounds. Jesus is coming back, not on the back end of a donkey, but on the back end of a war horse. He's got a tattoo on his leg that says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. What do you want to do in that? What do you want to be found doing in that moment? Yeah. I don't think it's that. Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. Okay, two more really quick. Rapid fire. Um, okay. Where was it? Oh, I just had it. Okay, how, do I, how can I discern if something is a closed door versus a delayed answer from God? Hmm. Can I just say time will tell? That's, I literally was about to say the same thing. Okay, go for it. No, no, time will tell. Yeah. And this is one of the, this is one of the really catastrophic things of people who on the other side of a disappointment and closed door walk away from the Lord because maybe had you actually walked with him, that door would have been opened later on. But because it wasn't open when you wanted it, you now forego the whole thing, right? There was an open, because you don't want a door to open before you are ready to walk through it. There are certain things I am being able to walk in now that had I gotten them when I was 22, 23, 24, 25, it would have crushed me. But God had to take me through a crucible. God had to take me through a certain season where certain things were pruned off of me. I mean, at one point, like if I could just talk to this, um, I had an entirely different Instagram account. Kind of told you this story briefly. And it had almost 60,000 followers. 
I had accumulated those followers over years and years and years and years of doing everything I knew to like try to like grow and like go places. You know, I knew that social media is a thing that God's using. We can use it to reach people. And I had accumulated that over, I wanted to say it was six to seven years. And all of a sudden, you know, there were moments in my life where it became an idol. There were moments in my life where it, it like meant too much to my own self-esteem and identity. But in 2019, I was on a vacation with my family and I felt the Lord tell me, you need to shut it down. And he literally said this, I need you to sow your influence. And literally what he said after this, that was this, if you will trust me with what you call influence, I'll trust you with what I call influence. And I'm sitting there and like, it, it, was, it was one of those things like I had nothing and then it was like, bah, like I had all that, like in a split second, I'm like, oh golly. Like, and like there's a conviction behind it where it's not like, eh, this might just be Keenan like trying to do something good. You know, this was like God spoke. And so I remember I found a Wi-Fi signal. I made a quick video explaining what was going on and I drove a stake through the heart of that Instagram account. It is deactivated. It, it will never be opened again. I don't even know if that's possible. And so I literally just started over. I felt like God asked for the account, not for just me being on Instagram. Literally no word of a lie. I didn't like blow up or anything like that. It wasn't like all of a sudden I had all these followers. I had like probably 1,500 followers. Six months later, I get a DM on this new Instagram from a girl named Beth Williams. We get to talking. Seven months later, we get married. She moves across the country. She's my wife today. August is our son. As, as we were getting to know each other and talking, that story comes out. Obviously, you talk about everything. And she straight up told me, she said, Keenan, had you had almost 60,000 followers on Instagram, I never would have had the courage to DM you. And in that moment, I was like, God, if you asked me to do that, and this was the only reason, I would do it a million times over. If all that was, if all you were doing was removing an obstacle for her so that she could find her way into my life, I would do it every single day, right? And then the crazy thing is, is that God has since honored the word. In, in 2022, God told me, start getting aggressive with posting preaching clips on Instagram. So I started taking it aggressively. In, in February of 2022, I had 5,000 Instagram followers. February of last year. Since then, I don't know what the number is. I think it's like 257,000 followers now, a year and a half later, because God told me to start doing stuff. This is why you have to listen to the progressive voice of God. I mean, had Abraham checked out after he heard, kill Isaac, he would have never heard, don't kill him. <laughs> you have to listen to the progressive voice of God. And God will ask you to lay down something in one season because he wants you to carry it in strength in the next season. And so I, I just really think like if I, I, I vowed to the Lord that I wanted that to be a testimony. And I really think had God given me over 200,000 followers back in 2019, it would have crushed me. Now it's, the, it's an amazing opportunity to reach literally the world in the last 30 days, uh, 5.7 million people have been reached by my Instagram account. 5.7 million. That's a ridiculous privilege. But you know what? It adds nothing to my self-esteem. It adds nothing to my identity. I see it as, if, if anything, it's a weight. It's like, man, that's a responsibility. 
if anything, it's like, man, God, for real, like you gotta help me carry this thing. Like you gotta give me discernment. Like this is, this is a lot of weight and responsibility. And, but the thing is, is God asked me to lay it down in one season so I could carry it in strength in another season. And he needed me to walk in a season when I had a Beth Clark <laughs> who was like, don't post that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have nobody like that back in the day. So now I have this, you know, physical version of the Holy Spirit named my wife. And she's able to say like, yo, take that off your story right this second, right? And, uh, but yeah, sometimes a closed door means that God is gonna fling it wide open later. But if you check out and you say, forget this thing, you'll never get to see it open up. This is why the calling of your life is gonna take your whole life. Like sometimes we forget that. Like what God has called, the calling of your life will take your whole life to play out. Meaning there are parts of it, you are like, I'm so excited to live it. It ain't coming till you're 60. But if you let an immature version of you in your 20s, some of you, I ain't, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm believing that's coming quicker. I'm believing that's coming quicker. But don't make the 60-year-old version of you hate the 20-year-old version of you by being immature now. Make the 60-year-old version of you proud of how you lived at 20 years old because you set them up for success by walking with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can't think of a better thing to end on than that. So can you please give it up for our, our guest, Keenan? so Clark. honored to be here, guys, seriously. Keenan, so, would you close us in prayer? Absolutely. And then we'll wrap this up. And again, I, I, I never, because again, like uh, my heart is for people and I never want to become a stumbling block. I share that entire story and it by no means to flex. And I hope that's coming through. I hope it is coming across. I know it could easily sound like a moment where you just wanna flex. It's not, but God does bring influence. God does bring promotion. promotion. Promotion, the Bible says, does not come from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but it cometh from the Lord. And so I just wanna be a testament that if you will obey God, even when it looks like you're heading in the opposite direction, like God, I thought you wanted to add more influence, not take all my influence. You just gotta trust God. And so I just hope my heart is being heard. I am not doing it to flex. It is not doing it to self-promote. It is doing, if anything, to urge you and inspire you to trust God and what it looks like for you. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are here Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, we feel you. And Lord, I pray that you would just preserve our minds, preserve our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you would stir and churn things up on the inside of us. Lord, that maybe we don't even realize are there. Lord, allow things to surface or resurface that you want to highlight or you wanna deal with. And Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive everything you have for us the rest of this retreat. But Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just stick here, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely asking that the things that are planted here and now, even if they are just in seed form, would grow into a mighty harvest. God, take us by the hand, whisk us away. Take us on the adventure of a lifetime. Life with you is never boring. And Lord, I thank you that you would break off of us any mindset that is trying to break us away from you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 All right, that's a wrap. <laughs>